Welcome to another edition of the High Stakes Diaries. I am your host, Peter Overzet, and I'm joined by our other host, Pat Corain. Pat, we are back from Vegas after all the buildup. We did it. We drafted a high stakes main event team. We did, and uh, I feel pretty pretty much recovered after a, quite a long weekend in Vegas. Vegas, one of the things I really do like about Vegas is when you tell people how long you've been there, and in our case, we've flown in Wednesday night and then flew out on a red-eye Sunday night. And, like, on Saturday, we're hanging out in the pool, you know, and you're just talking to people. It's like, how long? When did you guys get in? You say Wednesday. And it's just like, oh. <laughs> you know, Vegas is not a place where you're supposed to spend more than, you know, a, a long weekend at most. And uh, it definitely took a few days to kind of get back to uh, feeling good. But I, I think I'm pretty much there. How about you? Yeah, it took me uh, – yeah, the, the red eye, I feel like we have the same annual tradition where we take the Sunday red eye back. And, uh, yeah, I was in rough shape. It took me a few days to recover, but I'm doing well. And, uh, yeah, we have a, a team under our belts, a, a team that already has a, a week of action. Uh, we've got to see them perform. But I think we might be getting ahead of ourselves uh, a little bit. When we uh, did our draft last Saturday, immediately after we did a live stream, kind of breaking down how we felt – about our team and i think we're going to throw to that now and i'll also say in the show notes we'll post a link to our full team too just so you can see the the full draft board and our team if you kind of want to see some of the decisions we had uh during the draft and just keep an eye on our whole roster as we talk about it all right welcome to the high stakes diaries uh we are out here in las vegas just finished up our ffpc main event draft came right over here after we finished up uh, so we got the draft in the books, and uh, we're going to go through here our, our post-draft thoughts. So 101, we went Gurley, and then we went uh, Travis Kelsey, Stephon Diggs, Allen Robinson, Josh Gordon, uh, six through five, and then round six, Tevin Coleman, then Rex Burkhead, Keenan Cole in the eighth, then a little running back cluster, nine through 11, Rashad Penny, Nick Chubb, Bilal Powell. Went with our second tight end in the 12th, Ricky Seals-Jones. Back to running back in the 13th, Jordan Wilkins. Then Paul Richardson, Jimmy Garoppolo in the 15th, Chase Edmonds, Andy Dalton in the 17th because we're looking to start Dalton instead of Garoppolo for week one. Uh, Dante Moncrief in the 18th just as kind of uh, making sure we have the Jaguars as number one wide receiver after all. And then uh, <laughs> Team 10, out. Team 10. Ooh. Uh, just walked by letting us know they have a better team than us. And then uh, number 19, uh, draft p- pick 19 was uh, New Orleans Saints defense and then finished up with Adam Vinatieri. Team 10 is our friend uh, Dan Williamson, who, has, who had a very nice draft, I thought. But anyway, we feel good about our team, uh, particularly Travis Kelsey falling to 212. We knew we were going girly 101, so not much drama there. But Pete, Travis Kelsey fell to us to 212. We were walking around draft boards last couple of days just – you know, getting excited when Kelsey would fall to 212 wasn't very often. I'd say between maybe 10, maybe 10, 15 percent of the time I would see him see him there. And then A.J. Green was maybe there another 5 percent. So it seemed like a one in five chance we'd get Green or Kelsey. And, yeah. And it happened. Yeah, it was funny. We were a little discouraged because A.J. Green went earlier than we've seen him go in any draft uh, yet here for the main event. He went. Uh, where did he go? Yeah. Two five. Uh, which was pretty early. So I thought, oh, no, this doesn't bode well for us getting one of our targets. And our fail, our fallback plan was Mike Evans, 
and uh, Stefan Diggs, which again, wouldn't have been the, you know, a horrible start, but getting Kelsey really feel, felt like we were stealing. And I think what pushed Kelsey down has been the first week of the playoffs is week 12 and the chiefs have a bye. And I think that's really kind of had people like, I, I don't want to make it to the playoffs and not have, we actually had a friend of the show talk a little bit of trash to us because he had the one one He was not only was he not looking at Kelsey, he was not going with Gurley specifically because of the buy and was it was wondering if maybe we uh, weren't factoring that in because he hadn't made the playoffs either the last two years but I think um, Kelsey at 212 is just too much value even with the uh, week 12 buy yeah. which hurts you in the playoffs and we also have Gurley uh, who has the week 12 buy right. as well so our top two picks have the buy but uh, I mean if you're if you're 11 and one you know you don't gotta worry better. about that yeah who cares and then Stefan Diggs I think uh, in a weird way, it might have hurt more if Stefan Diggs had been taken in yeah. the second round because he had been his ADP and just where we've seen him going, it seemed like he really rarely went in the second round. He was someone we almost had in 10 as our 301 pick. So uh, if he had been taken in the second, it really would have hurt. But luckily, he did not. Uh, so I feel really good about Diggs and Kelsey as our two, two, three picks. Yeah. And then four or five, we definitely had some guys we were hoping would drop. I know I was on Landry, uh, Pat, not so much. We also thought there might be a chance Chris Hogan was there. Uh, and the board really uh, kind of ran out more. Uh, I wouldn't say worst case scenario. Uh, we still got a couple guys. I would almost would say worst case scenario. I did not but, feel good at the time. Yeah. I, I thought this was one of our more realistic scenarios so i wouldn't quite go i feel like worst case would have been if alan robinson would have gone uh and we would have been forced to take i think we probably would have reached for Corey davis yeah um we we were gonna call that the yolo start uh with uh, josh gordon and Corey davis at four or five but alan robinson and josh gordon and the way we kind of filled in our wide receiver in the back half with cole and richardson guys i think that can give us production and give us time to wait and see what josh gordon's going to be this year Right. Um, yeah, I think with, uh, you know, we just filled in our starting lineup and Gordon is not in it. So it doesn't necessarily feel great if your fifth round pick isn't going to start for you in week one. And instead you're going with your eighth round pick and Keelan Cole. But um, I think Gordon, one, he's, you know, working back on a pitch count. But two, the weather is just apparently going to be horrendous in Cleveland on Sunday. So I actually think I would maybe have pushed to start Gordon uh, if not for the weather. So, yeah, I mean, the thing that it's not just the weather, though, with Gordon, it's the fact that he isn't going to start right, a combination of the two. Yeah. Hugh Jackson said he's going to be on a pitch count. And uh, it, it is like a, the weather just kind of actually makes it easier. It makes it easier. Yeah. Let's just get a wait and see week with Gordon. Right. I want to see what his snaps are. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not worried about our starting lineup. Um, let's keep running through here. So after that four or five turn and I would say up to this point, we had really accounted for this scenario. Like if you showed me these top five picks, I'd been like, Kelsey, that's awesome. Uh, this is the four or five turn we kind of thought might happen. Kind of thought, yeah. I think just a little bit more on the four or five turn is that they're right at the end of the third, it looked like a lot of guys that we still liked were there. Um, Amari Cooper, Jarvis Landry, uh, Juju, Thielen, Doug Baldwin, Chris Hogan, all still on the board. And then, of course, you know, they got they got snapped up at the end of the third into the fourth. So the fourth, fifth turned into, like you're saying, what we probably thought it was going to be. But just for a second there, it looked like it all might fall our way. So but then in the sixth, seventh, um, 
I think it did fall our way. It Tevin did. Coleman was someone we did not think was going to be there, and it, it turned out that he was. And then I didn't think Burkhead was going to be there either. No, Burkhead, uh, we took over Carrion Johnson, which that uh, was a tough. It was tough. That was maybe one of our tougher decisions of the draft because I think we thought maybe one of these guys would be there, and three of our targets were all there. So we we locked into Coleman, and then we were kind of waffling back and forth. And I think I even said to you. I don't have a preference if you have. Yeah, you did. Yeah. And um, and I didn't feel strongly about it either, to be honest. I mean, I think they're such different types of players. The thing that we did talk about in that moment was that we knew we were going to be looking at guys like Penny Chubb and Ronald Jones later on. And if you are going to have those guys on your team, do you need carry on Johnson or are you actually going to benefit more from a guy like Burkhead who might come out of the gate a little hotter? We are planning on starting him in week one. So I think Burkhead, just looking at the total roster construction, if you could swap in Kerryon Johnson for Burkhead, you probably wouldn't do it, right? I mean, yeah, because we ended up and we'll talk about those guys in a sec, but getting, I think the decision we made on the spot was knowing we did want to target guys like Rashad Penny and Chubb a few rounds later. And not that Kerryon isn't a better fantasy pick than them, but they have similar types of. You know, yeah, you're sitting on it. You're yeah. not you're not getting production right away. And uh we got Josh ADHD in the chat saying, I hope you guys aren't picking Eifert. Um, no, we did not pick Eifert. Our second late tight end was Ricky Seals Jones, although it sounds like maybe there's some news on Eifert, Josh. Uh why why are we Tyler Croft did get picked, so maybe that was a smart pick for whoever yeah. uh, but and I will say if you guys uh, are watching this, we do have I just posted our our pick, uh our picks on Twitter, a photo. But yeah, so let's move on. I would say the eight nine is where we were kind of stumped because we thought a wide receiver like an Aguilar, Will Fuller, Robbie Anderson, one of those types, we thought they were going to be there and they weren't. They weren't. Yeah. And they had been kind of moving up as uh, we looked at draft boards throughout the weekend. And we never really kind of figured out what the alternative plan really was. I mean, Keelan Cole, I feel pretty good about. The other thing, though, is that we had also seen Rashad Penny move up. And this morning we were talking about him saying, we want Penny. We're going to have to take him in the ninth instead of the original plan, which was to take him in the tenth. So, um, yeah, Penny was a reach, but that's actually where we were looking to take him because we wanted to lock him up, knowing that uh, he probably was unlikely to get all the way back to ten twelve. So, Keelan Cole, you know, he's been going in the ninth to get him in eight twelve. That feels fine to me. Uh, you know, then spoiler alert for us to get Dante Moncrief in the eighteenth. It actually makes me feel a lot better about Cole because most likely we're going to drop Moncrief. I mean, hopefully we drop Moncrief. Because Cole looks like he has a firm hold on the the target leading role there, but if not, you know we got a very cheap uh, target leader for the for the Jags with those two picks. Hopefully, although it could always be Westbrook. Yeah, no, I was I was very stoked on Cole. I mean, even though I would have taken you know an Aguilar or Fuller over, I don't know if Cole is that much worse of a pick than yeah. those guys and all the sharp guys are talking about Cole. yeah you know uh, dodds kept talking about Cole. yeah matt kelly's been beating the drum about yeah. keelan cole being the next uh you know stefan diggs the the slot receiver yeah. that also has splash play upside so sean bosley was talking about cole a lot. i mean yeah it, it, it's just a, so we feel in again we don't even have to start cole he's not a guy because we're we got so much depth at running back we don't necessarily have to to start him so I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked on that. And, uh, I, so then let's move on here to the Chubb. What about a cam in the house here? And Powell here. Yeah. Cam, you can, uh, oh, God, <laughs> you're live on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. We got, uh, my buddy cam here. So yeah, we're just running down the, uh, our draft here from the one hole. 
And uh, now, yeah, we're on to the part where we're talking about our 9-10 turn. And we had, or sorry, this is 10-11, right? Yeah, 10-12, 11-01. Yeah, so 10-12, uh, Chubb was kind of been a target for us all along at yeah. this 10-11. Yeah. And I think some would and say... he's we, moved up. We were thinking about him uh, originally, I think, in the 12th. But we yeah. also kept seeing him go early and earlier. Yeah, and uh, I even like our friend Aram uh, McGeary, and he came over and he's like, I like this team. What's what's your thought on Chubb? He right. was the one that stood out. But uh, Pat and I have been, you know, we talked to Sean Siegel last week and Sean's zero running back targets over the past couple weeks had really changed. And the two names that Sean was really zoning in on was Chubb and Ronald Jones yep. right in this range. Yep. And it, so Ronald Jones is the guy that we didn't take at 1101. He went a few picks later. I think we were thinking maybe he would get back to us. He did not even make it through the 11th round, so he didn't even get close to getting back to us. Yeah. But Powell, talk talk a little bit about the uh, the Powell decision because that was one we really struggled with in, in the moment. Yeah, so that was another tough one because we were looking at other types of wide receivers. We I believe we would have taken DJ Moore there if he had yeah. fallen and he went two picks before us there. Uh, Pat was excited. No, about- DJ Moore was still there. Oh, DJ was he? Moore was av- available. We oh, thought we, about, we thought more would make it to 12 or 13. Yeah, it was like, we, we let more go and we let uh, Jones go on the theory that maybe one of them would come back to the 12th. Yeah. But they both didn't even make another half around. Yeah. For me, Powell is, uh, you know, he's one of those kind of unsexy zero RB targets kind of in the vein of Gio Bernard, where it's a guy that's been around a lot, but I feel really good at Powell. I mean, they were literally using him as a bell cow in preseason. You know, he has the passing down role locked up. So if they're playing down, you know, from behind, like they might a lot this season, Yeah, Powell's going to be the guy, you know, coaches love him, good at pass blocking. And he looks spry in the preseason. I mean, I don't want to latch on to one play, but that touchdown run I think he had in week two of the preseason, he looked great. And uh, I think there's a legitimate chance that not only does he have that passing down role, but he could be, say, the 60-40 side of the running split and not vice versa with everyone thinking it's Crowell who's going to get the lion's share. So I thought that was really good value there. Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. Again, it kind of comes back to what we talked about with Burkhead, where we have Penny, we have Chubb, and you could go with Ronald Jones, but it's a, you know, it's three guys in a row who you're not going to be looking at any production from for maybe you know half a season, and at a certain point you need to be able to play the waiver wire, and and we probably end up dropping one of them. Yeah. If we, if we're not getting any production, we might be dropping them for someone who's putting up, uh, you know, receiving running back numbers like Powell's already going to do. Yeah. So, and we talked a lot about this team, you know, our Achilles heel the past few years has been starting super slow. And one thing I've been talking about is just having a blend on our team of guys that could be league winners late, like the Josh Gordon, the pennies, the Chubbs, but then also making sure we're locking in production early on in the season. And Powell is a guy along with Burkhead that I feel can lock us in some running back to production and really make sure that we're competitive early on and not scrambling for running back two points like we have been in years past. Yep. Let's talk a little bit about here, uh, Randall Cobb, who we thought about actually in the eighth, ninth turn, um, but ultimately did go with Cole. I feel good about going with Cole over Cobb. But then Cobb was just sliding and sliding. We thought, okay, you know what? We're going to get Cobb here in the 10-11 turn. So that was real smart to let him go, and he got taken one pick before us which was definitely stung, but it stung even more, I think, at least it did for me, 
in a 12-13 turn. So, uh, you know, one more batch later when we had Kirk Cousins lined up. We're going to take him at the end of the 12th, 12-12 to pair him with Diggs. He got taken by the same team at the uh, 12-11 pick. So that one really stung. And I think we we really didn't have a backup lined up. Uh, We were planning on going Kirk Cousins and Ricky Seals-Jones. Kirk Cousins goes the pick before we did go Ricky Seals Jones, but then I was literally like, I don't really even care who we take here. There's no <laughs> one I like. Uh, the receivers dried up. We thought it would be too early to get Paul Richardson. We were right. He ended up getting back to us on the next round, the 14th pick, but we ended up going with Jordan Wilkins. Uh, that was really more your call. I feel good about it after the fact, though, just because uh, he, he does have a shot. Yeah. You know, in week one, Marlon Mack, uh, he, unlikely to play, it seems like. He's almost like the uh, the opposite of the Penny, Chubb, on Johnson type where you're going to have to wait. Whereas Wilkins, I think, is going to get a crack week one. Right. And the hope is maybe he looks really good. And maybe with momentum, maybe he Mack, Mack that hamstring. I mean, that could be weeks yeah. until he's back. Naheem Hines, they're not going to use him to ram up the middle, you know? <laughs> no. And so, No, he's not that guy. And so if, if luck is, you know, as you know, makes that rebound and is playing at an elite level. And Wilkins is the goal line back and early down runner in this offense. I think you could feel pretty good about him. And yeah. And he's also a nice, like we also talk about like taking a peek at a guy. I feel like we're going to know pretty quickly if he's worth holding on to, if he's sure. worth. And if he, and if he's like getting 15 touches a game, all the goal line carries in a good offense, then I think this is a great pick. This, uh, this has only occurred to me after the fact. And so maybe I'm just rationalizing, but he's, is he kind of an arbitrage Jamal Williams? Yeah, I guess so, right? Yeah, although I don't know if he Jamal Williams probably a little better pass catcher maybe than Wilkins. well, certainly better pass blocker. So he'll yeah. be on the field um, for some of those passing downs, whereas Wilkins probably will not be. Yeah, so I it, again, it, I think you know what Pat was hinting at. It wasn't a guy that was on our board. It wasn't a guy that we had sold, um, but he does kind of fit that mold. And you know what Sean has kind of really been preaching over at Rotoviz with the zero RB targets of, of there's a lot of hidden value in rookie running backs mm-hmm. and you're not paying a premium for them round 13. And if, if a running back is likely to really outperform their value, like guys like Powell and Chubb or sorry, Powell and like a Gio Bernard, they're probably going to need an injury to really outperform. Whereas these rookie running backs, they don't necessarily need it because they might just be the best running back on their team right. and immediately get a bigger role than drafters are anticipating. So that's why I don't mind taking these shots on these rookie running backs. And again, we don't need them all to hit. Mm-hmm. One or two would be a massive win. And Wilkins is nice because like, if we need someone to drop after week one or week two, maybe he's that guy if he just totally takes a dump or Mac comes back <laughs> yeah. earlier than expected. So uh, I feel fine about that, especially that we didn't really have anyone we loved there. The one guy that maybe we would have reached for is Paul Richardson, who we got in the very next round round 14, the, the 12th pick in the 14th round. This is a, another one where we kind of got uh, sniped a little bit. We had Jared Goff and Paul Richardson lined up as our next two picks. Goff went four picks before, uh, which was unfortunate because we do really like Goff for the season. But then on top of that, you have Goff and Gurley. Uh, of course, then we'd have our quarterback running back also have the week 12 by. So maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe we uh, got saved from ourselves. But you know, we were saying if the Rams offense is as good as some think it can be, uh, then we've basically locked up, you know, 90, 90, 95 percent of the touchdowns yeah. uh, that, that we're going to see from the Rams this year. So that would be pretty great. And then I think the other thing about golf that we liked uh, is that we could play him right away. You don't have to worry about his week one matchup. Yeah. Um, whereas 
when we did get sniped on golf, we go with Richardson, and then we went Jimmy Garoppolo, who you could argue is a better season-long pick, but not very fun to start week one at the Vikings, uh, which is why we ended up going with Andy Dalton in the 17th. Yeah, so, yeah, with this, Richardson was kind of the last wide receiver that we really liked. I mean, at this range, when we're looking at wide receivers, you're you're hoping for a guy that, you know, it's not just, you know, we're not just looking for a guy that can just give us bi-week production. We're saying who has the potential to say, realistically, be a wide receiver too on the season, uh, right. a top 24 guy. And I think Paul Richardson fits that mold. And he was our last guy, in, especially because we were a little thinner on wide receivers than we expected. I think we did expect that Powell pick to be a wide receiver like Cobb. Um, and then we might not have felt as kind of a press to get we're getting one. a DJ Moore right. in the 12th and 13th. Uh, we, we also looked at Chris Godwin. We're hoping he would get back to 12-12. So we would have taken him instead of Jordan Wilkins paired with Ricky Seals-Jones. He got taken at 12-6. So there was, you know, this... This was a sharp league, I think. Uh, defenses did not go early at all. No. Um, defenses went really late. We 12th round was where we saw the Jaguars go, and then a uh, couple rounds passed before we even saw the next defense go. In the 15th, uh, we saw the Rams and the Vikings and the Chargers, uh, but those were the next three. So kickers, you know, were going as late as they should have been. Uh, wide receivers were just getting snapped up. We were actually really concerned about getting Richardson in the 14th, 14 12 when you know we've seen him go in the 16th and the 18th because all the wide receivers that we were hoping to get in the 12 13 14th were long gone yeah yeah and uh so i felt good about that and yeah the garoppolo pick uh i i don't like the week one matchup obviously uh on the road versus the vikings but garoppolo along with guys like mahomes feel like those type of players that could really make the leap into that upper echelon of quarterbacks, similar to say what Carson Wentz did last year type of move. And I, uh, I feel really good about Garoppolo as our, as our QB one, even though we're not going to maybe use him week one. I do too. I mean, we're kind of setting up a quick little stream here with Dalton and then Garoppolo in week two, I suppose. And then um, see how it goes, see how it goes. And if, we end up having to drop Garofalo and and stream it the rest of the way. We're comfortable doing that too. So yeah, but I think you know a lot of people. It's uh, obviously it's a small sample size, but I think a lot of sharp people think Garofalo could be uh, the real deal. And so yeah, we're at, at around 15 cost. I'm definitely willing to yeah, uh, take a peek. And I mean, you know, I mentioned it. I think this was a sharp league. One of the reasons I think it was sharp is that quarterbacks really went late. Um, you know, we saw Brady and Wilson go in the 10th round. We started to think we might have a chance to take Brady or Wilson at 10-12, which we would have done, um, but they did get snapped up in the 10th. But, you know, Rodgers went in the 4th, um, but then Watson didn't go till the 7th, and then uh, Newton actually was the third quarterback off the board in the ninth. So you know, through the end of nine, just three quarterbacks off the board. Yeah. And we were actually eyeing, uh, cause Wilson and Brady went at the beginning of the 10th and we were kind of looking at each other. And again, another thing we've never even discussed taking one of those QBs early. And we both looked at each other and said, if one of those is there at 10, 12, we're taking, we're them. taking them. Yeah. And, uh, it didn't happen. Uh, but we, uh, we're fine with it and, uh, happy to scoop up some more skill position players and, and grab Garoppolo, uh, and Dalton late. Let's, uh, Let's talk a little bit about Chase Edmonds in the 16th, uh, who we took as, you know, I guess a contingency pick on David Johnson. However, we could have 
uh, in that same round, taking John Kelly to handcuff Todd Gurley, our number one pick. So uh, what's the logic there? Well, again, and, and not to keep name-checking Sean, but we asked him this exact question yeah. when we were on. We said we're obviously taking Gurley, uh, and we had looked at, you know, there's these three handcuffs. Obviously, James Conner, that's a whole new situation now, uh, but it was Chase Edmonds and John Kelly. Someone did try to take him in the 12th round when he had been taken six rounds earlier. Yeah, that, and, was, uh, that was pretty great. Nothing more embarrassing than trying to take a pick that's already off the board, which I did Four with the Ravens defense. So uh, it happens. But yeah, so Chase Edmonds, um, we had talked about this with Sean. It's like, we're going to go for a two for one. Uh, whereas if, if Gurley gets hurt and John Kelly steps in, we're probably getting 75% of the production. But with Edmonds, if David Johnson gets hurt, all of a sudden you could have a guy that's a top 10 running back. Yeah. And I like the point you made, which is that with Gurley, you can handcuff him. But if he gets hurt, uh, not only is John Kelly not Todd Gurley, so he's not like he's going to step in and be the same guy. But uh, we still have to deal with that week 12 by, whereas if you have Chase Edmonds taking over for David Johnson's role at the end of the season, uh, we could have him being our Todd Gurley fill-in. So uh, for a 16th round value and just the level of upside that we've seen, you know, uh, J- uh, James Conner going all the way up to the sixth round in our draft, and I've seen him up in the fourth in, uh, in some yeah. other drafts. So you, you see as soon as one of these guys has a chance to take over for the bell cow, uh, you know, the value of, of them truly emerges. So I think Edmonds is a, a nice lottery ticket here in the 16th. Yeah, and then uh, we mentioned Dalton before. Once we took Garoppolo, I, I was excited about that value, but immediately knew I kind of wanted uh, a week one QB streamer, and the quarterbacks were flying off the board. And I know, Pat, you were maybe thinking about trying to wait a little bit longer. I think I kind of pushed to lock him up uh, just with that week one matchup against the Colts. And I'm glad we did. Yeah, it always feels gross to take Andy Dalton. So I wasn't psyched about it. But it gets to the point where you realize, um, you know, basically the way you sold me on the pick was we have uh, we have to take a defense. We have to take a kicker. We don't want to start Garoppolo week one. So we need to take quarterback here. And then we have one other pick. So we also liked Ryan Griffin late. Um, we wanted to potentially take Dante Moncrief, who we did end up getting the, the next round. So basically the realization of, okay, we're only going to get one more skill position player because we're going to have to take defense and kicker. So yeah, fine. Let's take Dalton here, even though it did feel gross, still feels gross, frankly, uh, that we, that we had to take Dalton at 1701. Yeah. And my thought was, we, I, I thought, you know, Moncrief was the other guy we considered taking there. I thought he had a good chance about getting back to us. Uh, which he did. And then you just run out of draft spots. I mean, we got to take a defense and kicker um, in rounds 19 and 20. So it's just flipping Dalton and uh, in Moncrief and just kind of reading the board and that run happening. And, and yeah, Moncrief, we kind of already touched on him. He's uh, a pretty cheap uh, way to take a look at how that Jaguars wide receiver situation is going to shake out. Yeah. And it does seem like it'll be Moncrief and Cole and two wide receiver sets. So we'll see who's targeted more. Not that week one is going to be necessarily definitive, but um Certainly, if if Moncrief emerges with a with a much bigger target share than Cole, then we'll feel good about having uh, gotten the the number one wide receiver for the Jaguars with the combination of an eight and eighteenth round pick. That feels pretty good. Yep. And then of course we uh, wrapped it up with the requisite defense. The Saints. Uh, John Paulson has them as their number two defense this week uh, at home versus the Bucks. They're I believe the biggest favorites on the slate. It was ten and a half. Last I looked, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick starting, and the Saints uh, look like they're going to be a dominant team this year. So uh, I feel like in years past, too, we've really scraped the bottom of the barrel for week one defenses. And, and yeah, I, I feel, feel good about the Saints. Yeah, yeah. they really I mean, Fitzpatrick's going to probably chuck a couple interceptions if we're lucky. So 
just real quick too on uh, on Moncrief, got to give David Dodds a bit of credit here because when we talked to him uh, on uh, on Thursday night, and if you listen to the previous podcast, uh, we have this that uh, that part of the conversation was included, where he was just talking about how you can lock up some of these cheap uh, wide receiver cores, uh, the Jaguars and and the Cowboys being probably the two easiest to to get. So I think Moncrief probably someone we were targeting more after that conversation just kind of realizing that one way you can make that 18th round pick which is inherently not very valuable a lot more valuable is if if you uh, use it to lock up the number one wide receiver or, or at least raise the probability of getting the number one wide receiver on a team that'll pass a, a fair amount yeah yeah so i uh this isn't the I, this isn't the team i i fully envisioned us to having uh, but i'm i'm really happy on it about it and i'm really stoked that i think we're set up for a very fast start which is i think really important for us because we have we get buried early in this format and uh I'm definitely, we have gotten buried early we don't get this year we won't we'll see we'll yeah. see i'm, I'm hoping good. that it's uh we've we've the tide has turned no we're looking good i mean below powell is going to be potentially an early starter and i don't even know if we start him this week so we're leaving we're leaving points on the bench uh already so I, I feel good i mean and then also you know when you have todd Gurley as uh as the 101 yeah you don't have to worry so much about running back yeah and it, it is going to be really fun i mean between josh gordon rashad penny nick chubb guys with question marks but massive upside um you know in the case of penny and chubb you know their team spent a uh, significant draft ca- draft capital on them uh everyone knows the deal with josh gordon and i i think we can recover uh if josh gordon does nothing this year i think we can still have a, a playoff I do uh, too. team maybe yeah. not a two hundred fifty thousand dollar winning team but i think we can have um a team that makes the playoffs even with no gordon well i think if let's say if gordon um you know just totally takes a dump as well so we could one way that we could make up for it is to you know essentially think of kelsey as a wide receiver and then actually go searching for some more cheap tight end production to pair with you know kind of get a streaming spot going with Ricky Seals Jones. And then you look at Kelsey Diggs and Robinson might be kind of your top three wide receivers. If you think about it in that sense. Yeah. It, uh, we, there are definitely, you know, situations. I mean, it's all a fantasy, right? After the first few rounds of a lot of uncertainty and it's just going to be fun. It's going to be, how does Allen Robinson look coming off of his injury? He's going to look good. (laughs) Yes. But there's questions and it's uh, how, how are, how's the new England Patriots running back situation going to look? Obviously I think it's a little more defined for week one. If Sony Michelle's out, but going forward when he is back, how does that look? There's a, there's a lot of, uh, I think we're on the kids knee. Okay. I mean, that's, that's uh, the the slight tear. Yeah. yeah. Slight tear. So uh, it's going to be fun. I think we've made the the right bets on situations uh, within offenses, but now we just have to see uh, if it actually comes to fruition. The other thing I like about this uh, team, I was just about to ask who's our first drop, but we know who it is. It's Andy Dalton. Yeah. Get that bum off our team after this week. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be it'll be interesting. Let me see who. So the 49ers next week, they are home versus Detroit. So that's going to be a nice matchup yeah. uh, for Garoppolo. So I think we'll feel pretty good. And Cincinnati plays Baltimore. Then they go on the road to Carolina. So, yeah, I don't. He's long gone. I can't see him uh, burning us. It is it is the one thing. If, if you aren't familiar with this league, there is no trading at all. It's not best ball, obviously. You still got to set your lineups. But the guys. And there's you, waivers. There's waivers. Uh, but yeah, there's no like, oh, Dalton has a massive week one and then we flip him. No, you know? no, yeah. 
So you, uh, and that's why I feel like we've covered her. Uh, we have so many, so many of the, the running backs we got are guys we can sit and wait on and, uh, and see how they pan out. But yeah, I feel like Dalton and Moncrief would be the obvious, um, drops early. Chase Edmonds feels like a guy you kind of have to stick with unless he's right. getting no work Moncrief at all. is someone you hope that you're going to be dropping because if you're dropping Moncrief, what it means is that Cole has emerged. Most likely that's what it means. And obviously we feel really good about that, given that we spent eighth round pick on him instead of the 18th pick on on 18th round pick on Moncrief. Um, just looking at the schedule, too, with Garoppolo, you know, you mentioned Detroit week two at KC week three. We're obviously going to be starting him for that. And then um, he's going to be at the Chargers in week four. And I think by that point, we'll have a, a sense of whether or not we want to ride him in an away match with a with a tough defense or whether we're going to have to have to stream at that point. So, um we're not stream. We won't drop them, but most likely, but yep. So yeah, feeling, uh, feeling very good about this team. I, I think you, did you say that you don't feel super excited about it, but you think that might mean that it's our best. Yeah, I, yeah I did say that. I feel <laughs> definitely less excited about it than I have in years past, but I think in some ways it's maybe because, um, it's a little bit more grounded. This team feels a little bit more grounded. We have uh, really solid production. You, you kind of, I don't know. There's something about it where maybe you can't dream quite as big because, you know, the picks are a little bit more grounded in reality. And I think that uh, we'll have a better start to the season. Yeah. But then at the same time, if you do want to dream big, you start thinking about our picks like Rashad Penny, Nick Chubb, uh, Jordan Wilkins, yeah. uh, Tevin Coleman. So that is the thing. I look at this team and the, through our first 10 rounds, I can tell a story of those first 10 picks of how they are top 12 at their position. Right. I can do that pretty easily. Uh, and I don't think sound that crazy. The one thing I am concerned about with the team is that I feel like, you know, we've talked about zero running back as our strategy for the last three years, but I would say we've gone over three and actually drafting a true zero running back team. <laughs> and this year is probably the furthest we've gotten from that. Uh, we did go one running back through the first five rounds. So that's zero running back esque. I but... mean, but if we didn't have, say if we were picking, I don't know, three or four and we went Antonio Brown and then we started say Brown, Kelsey Diggs, a Rob Gordon, I mean that it would be, it then really it would is. Be, yeah. It is only girly, but, you, but I mean, that's the bi a big difference to add an Antonio Brown yeah. to a Todd Gurley. But that's I think a, that would a huge, I think it'd be a mistake. I think it would have been a mistake uh, to well, not a huge mistake to but, go Brown at 101. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. So yeah. yeah, I mean, we could, we, we like the idea of zero RB We're we're believers in it, but you gotta, you gotta know when to. Uh, sure. But I guess my, my point is I do feel a little bit nervous about our wide receiver core here. Uh, and I think we're going to have to be active on the waiver wire at wide receiver in a way that we're not necessarily going to have to be that active with as active with running back because we actually locked up a lot of the, yeah, the guys most likely to benefit from some early season chaos. Well, you actually made the point, which is, yeah, if you just look at the yellow, um, you know, wide receiver picks, it looks like we don't have that many. But if you think of Kelsey as a wide receiver and think of us as starting, say, Ricky Seals Jones as our tight end, which was something we were willing to do. We were willing to have a Ricky Seals Jones ASJ type be our tight end one that if you think of Kelsey as that wide receiver, then it starts to look like we have some really nice because then you're starting Kelsey Diggs. A. Rob and Gordon and and Cole's coming off the bench, so to speak. Right, right. So yeah, I guess, I guess it's a matter of perspective. And if there was ever a time to uh, steer away from zero RB, I think it's when you get Todd Gurley, which, uh, you know, knock on wood, feels like very, very few question marks about his path to elite production. 
Uh, all right, guys. Well, this has been really fun. Thank you guys for those of you that tuned in for our three live streams uh, over the course of the weekend. We appreciate it. All of those are archived on my YouTube page, youtube.com slash Peter Overzet. If you want to watch back and uh, we also just posted uh, our episode, uh, the podcast version, it's high stakes diaries. That's that was, on a, that was a fun one. We had some really good interviews on that uh, episode. So check that out for sure. Yeah, that was uh, that's where we're going to be doing. This was kind of a, a one-off thing to be able to do the live broadcasting. Uh, but our, the rest, if you want to track our team, uh, that's going to be on the High Stakes Diaries. If you search for that in iTunes or or uh, any of your Android apps, you'll find that. You can subscribe to that feed. And uh, every week, we'll check in. And it's going to be a Saturday. Our thought is uh, it's right after you've kind of done all your own uh, preparation for the week and that lull right before the games on Sunday. You can check in with us, see how we're feeling uh, and follow us as we finally try to get off the schneid, finally win some money in this league, finally not light $1,800 on fire. Can't wait. Can't wait. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in. We are going to enjoy our last night in Vegas and try to uh, be uh, stay in one piece to be able to watch the games with the right frame of mind tomorrow. <laughs> All right, guys, this has been fun. We will uh, we'll catch you on the flip. All right, Pete. So here we are back in in the present and uh, post week one. Let's talk a little bit about uh, how our week one went. Um, I'll just kind of cut right to the chase. We, we you mentioned our tradition at the top of taking the red eye back uh, every Sunday night. Another tradition is that we start zero and one every year. So uh, this year, uh, the nice thing was we found out late in the day that that we went zero and one. Usually we know pretty early on. Uh, I think we had a a feeling that we might actually start one and one, and then Rob tore our hearts out. Um, the guy, one of the guys that you know, you just heard us talking about, we were sniped on. We, we were really hoping he'd fall back to us, went one pick before us um, coming back. And then, of course, we played him, and he almost single-handedly made us made us lose that week. And uh, did a Todd Gurley going on Monday night, Bilal Powell going on Monday night wasn't enough to save us. Yeah, it was a, it was a disappointing week one. Uh, I think that one of the other huge disappointments was just our defense, the New Orleans defense getting zero points. Everyone had pegged that as a game for the saints, you know, most people had them as a top five defense. We felt pretty good about getting them in the second to last round. And then for them to put up zero points, uh, yeah, obviously it wouldn't have mattered. Even if they had 15 points or something, we still would have fallen short because of like Pat mentioned that big Cobb game, but that stung a little bit, but I feel, and, and tell me if you disagree, like when we look at our team and I was looking at Josh Hermsmeyer's air yards model today of the buy, buy low targets and half of our team is on it which what that means to me is that we picked the right guys the guys that are getting opportunity and good opportunity at that they just for whatever reason didn't convert those into major you know fantasy points in week one so i'm still feeling good yeah i still feel good about our team i think uh like we had you know travis kelsey just put up a big stinker but i'm not that worried about him and and tight end is a bit more uh variable than you know taking a wide receiver uh that high so you know alan robinson was one of the guys on the buy low list uh that you mentioned sapon Diggs. um 
does he make it on the? I see Thielen. Maybe Diggs isn't on there, but we, we do have a number of other guys on here. So, and even a lot of our kind of guys that we didn't start last week, I was very uh, intrigued by. You know, Rashad Penny. Everyone was so down on him heading into the season because it just seemed like every time Pete Carroll was doing a press conference, he was hyping up Chris Carson and not so silently shitting on Penny. And then he's in his full on 50-50 split. You know, eight rush rush uh yards and but then he had the 35 receiving yards on four receptions and if he can continue to build out that role and be splitting snaps evenly i think that bodes well for his trajectory over the season and then josh gordon one of our more i guess you could say controversial picks or kind of our dart throws and he played there's the hilarious hugh jackson line that he accidentally started (laughs) in the game of course and uh yeah he was in on a ton of snaps only had the one catch but it did go for a touchdown of course and i think you just have to look at that and they've listed him as the starter heading into this week so i'm feeling pretty good lots better about josh gordon than i was a, a couple weeks ago yeah i feel great about gordon um Allen Robinson is another guy who was kind of disappointing week one. Just uh, watching that game, it, I was both encouraged and disappointed uh, with Robinson. Encouraged because he looked like Allen Robinson. He had that really nice catch early in the game and uh, you know, definitely appeared to have that you know same leaping ability, ability to uh, go up and, and win the ball. But... Uh, the offense as a whole just kind of looked a little bit discombobulated. The you know they're running the play clock all the way down. Trubisky didn't seem to want to throw to the outside as much. Um, so I, I'm a little bit worried about the you know after watching I was a little bit worried about the target element because I thought the thing about Robinson is I thought he'd be fine health wise and then I just thought the targets there were going to be excellent and then seeing Josh Hermsmeyer's um, by low. Uh, air yards guys and Robinson right on there makes me think that you know I probably was maybe a little bit too pessimistic in my takeaway from uh, uh, from Robinson in terms of the the target volume because he was actually getting a lot of volume yeah and from I I didn't get to see the entire second half that was kind of when we were traveling but what it sounded like is that Trubisky uh, those first 10 plays where they looked really good were all scripted and then they tightened up and got a little conservative in the second half definitely got conservative in the second half so hopefully, you know, we, we're confident that A-Rob is going to be the number one target there, and if they loosen up a little bit and get more aggressive, he should be on the receiving end of some of that aggressiveness, you would hope. So, yeah, I feel really good about it, and, you know, we, we do kind of have a modified zero RB squad and that we do have Todd Gurley anchoring things. Obviously, no concerns there. 100-plus rushing yards, three receptions for 40 yards, and a receiving touchdown. He's going to continue to to steamroll and be an anchor. And then, you know, we're really looking at just trying to plug an RB2, maybe an RB3 in the flex. And things already are starting to break all right for us. We had a little scare there with Rex Burkhead. He was in the concussion protocol earlier this week, but he practiced today. So that's boding well uh, for his prospects. And then there's Tevin Coleman. And I'll tell you what, Pat, I am – paying such close attention to this because it's it's almost eerily quiet on the Devonta Freeman front. I'll mm-hmm. just this is the rundown that I know. I know after the game, he left the game early last week. They said uh, Pro Football Doc was talking about lingering concerns with his MCL and PCL stuff. 
Then all of a sudden on Tuesday, the Falcons promote Brian Hill from the practice squad, a running back, which starts to, you know, flash alarm bells in my head. And then back-to-back days, we're recording this Thursday evening. He didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. And there's been no news about the team. You know, it's not like the Fournette situation where it's like, he's not practicing, but he's going to give it a go tomorrow. Should be like, there's none of that. I still think, and we added him uh, for $2, Ito Smith, the backup, um, because I think there could be a Devonta Freeman injury bombshell here. I, I honestly do. It just seems suspiciously quiet. I'm with you. Yeah, I, I, uh, it does feel weirdly quiet for sure. Um, I, I'm more into it for you know in the sense of I'm more into tracking it for uh, the fact that we already had Tevin Coleman. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But it is nice. Uh, that we do have Ido if something were to come down as well. So, and um, we'll get into waivers here in a second. I think we should probably just run through how the waivers went and what our strategy was and, and how it turned out. But, um, you know, spoilers for that section, we got Ido Smith for like three bucks or something. And uh, I think that's a, just kind of a smart pickup because if he, because we'll know, it, it's one of these guys, we probably could drop him Sunday. You know, if, if yeah. Freeman get like, if it's like, yeah, he's not going to start, but he's going to he's gonna play a little bit, then at that point we throw Ido back and, you know, pick up someone for a buck that, that we like a little bit more. So. Um, yeah, no, that was definitely my thought on Ido was in that same thought that you had of hopefully we'll know um, by Saturday waivers what the deal is with that. And I, I do, it was more just like if Freeman's out for the year, I mean, Ido's an incredible pickup. And if Freeman's fine, then he's just a cheap drop, you know, back into the right. pool. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, why don't we we placed a few different bids in our league. The I would say the top prize available was Quincy Inunua coming off of what I believe was a 10 catch game in Sam Darnold's uh, rookie debut. So that definitely turned some heads. And then the other top prize, I would say, was Johnny Smith. The, uh, the second-year tight end for the Titans uh, after the Delaney Walker injury. And we put in uh, pretty significant bids on both of those, I believe, but not significant enough. Spoiler alert, I think we did 285 on a noon one, and we were in like the high one, 170s, 180s on Janu, and they both went um, for a well, while. I'm going to pull up our fab report yeah, here. It looks like Quincy and Newman went for 488 Um and you know that it kind of hurts too because he was someone we had considered taking actually instead of Moncrief. Yeah. Um, and we were try- then trying to drop a week later Moncrief for Anunwa, uh, and, you know, and we would have needed half our budget to get him. Um, we actually did have the second highest bid at 258. Oh uh, no, we didn't. No. We didn't. 361 was the next yeah. highest. Looks like yeah. So um, then Johnny Smith went for 415. We had our bid at 169. Um. Those were the, the big guys. And then we basically uh, price enforced on Will Disley, who we ended up getting at 85 bucks, And the next highest bid looks like was at 60 Yeah. So that that was kind of nice. And then we, we went a little bit lower than uh, maybe we should have on Brandon Marshall. Because he only went for 66 and we missed him. Um we were at 38. I feel like 66 to get Marshall's uh, a, a pretty decent buy there because he'll yeah, probably we... be somewhat startable. And then he could, it seemed like, Ito, like if, if Baldwin's injury turns out to be 
more longer term. That's a really nice pickup. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough with these waiver wire because you you want to spend money early because you're theoretically getting these guys production for 15 weeks. So you're getting a real good bang for your buck. On the other hand, you're probably the the odds that they're going to actually see your starting lineup are pretty low. Um, but yeah, I actually find that argument pretty weak, to be honest. The reason I find that argument weak is because I feel like while that does make logical sense that it, you know, it, it's un- inarguable if you have a guy, you'd rather have him for more weeks and less weeks, but those guys don't always emerge in week one and you can't force it. If the guys aren't there that are worth spending half your budget on, then you shouldn't spend half your budget even if you get the guy you pick up with half your budget for more weeks. Right. So... I'm more. I actually, yeah, that was more. I think uh, that's it's a not very. My... Con- I, I know. I, I'm not arguing against you specifically. Yeah. I think that's the kind of the conventional wisdom of waivers. Right. Uh, I think the the argument that I'm more concerned about is just like, it is it worth it to hold out your money for a guy, say like an obvious running back that you know would sniff your starting lineup versus, you know, you're kind of taking some shots here. Like, what if Will Disley is, you know kind of this year's emergent tight end and becomes Russell Wilson's favorite target. Like that's in the range of outcomes, in which case it's a great ad. Or was it a fluke week? The Broncos are a funnel tight end defense. He's splitting snaps with Luke Vanette, and we just wasted that money that we could have used throwing our weight somewhere else. Yeah, but I kind of think about waivers sometimes with like you kind of only get a couple big chips. So you're going to like for to get one of those running backs that you talk about, you're going to have to spend – somewhere between a quarter and, and half the total budget. You're going to have to spend like between 250 and 500 bucks to yeah. get one of those running backs. Maybe more if it happens really early in the season and everyone's flush. But you still have enough money to do that even if you take a couple smaller shots on a guy like a Disley for under 100. So you can kind of still obviously you still want to be churning for for a couple bucks pretty much all the time if you have the, the roster spot to use to do that. But I have no problem with the Disley pickup um, for under 100 because I think Disley could be a very kind of flexible um, or, you know, fill-in tight end for us. And maybe he's, maybe he's a total drop, but I just have no problem spending, uh, you know, less than 10% of our budget on, on a decent tight end uh, flyer this early in the season. Yeah. One thing I do want to look at doing as both um, like a strategic measure of how to get more points in our lineup and as a cost-saving measure as far as saving our fab is looking at trying to play defenses uh, a week ahead and yeah. and kind of maybe churning one of the last roster spots to where – and I do this in, in my dynasty leagues a lot where I'm always trying to look ahead and pick up the and obviously it's an inexact science a lot of things change but especially as the season goes on and you really start to know which teams you can target um and say that defense in this format say who's ever playing the bills were available they would probably be 35 40 but you could often get them for a dollar or two a week ahead and solidify your starting lineup so um i think we're both i mean we're gonna roll with uh the Saints this week, again, uh, they're at home versus Cleveland. I'm not going to overthink that, even though they looked pretty bad. But um, for our next waiver run, um, which will be – this will be when this comes out, I do want to start to look ahead 
to a, a week three defense. Yeah, and I think that's where like Ido Smith might come in. Yeah, because if he looks droppable by Saturday, then you know there's not too many guys on the waiver wire right now. I'd be totally fine just grabbing that week three defense, getting that set up. Then we got our drop in the Saints. Saints defense would be our drop for uh, Wednesday night waivers. So yeah. yeah, I totally, I really do like looking a week ahead uh, on defense. And generally, in our experience, that's pretty much all you have to do with with defense. I don't think you generally have to look like two weeks ahead or anything. No, uh, and sometimes because sometimes a quarterback, it, it, it's helpful to do that. But I don't think with defense you need to. Yeah, in just the way, and I know every league's different, but in general, I know a lot of teams. Um, like having their their locked and loaded defense and don't like streaming. I think it'll be interesting. A few weeks in, we'll kind of be able to identify, okay, how many streamers are there in this league? <laughs> Who are we competing with? Right. Um, and a lot of people did use like decently premium picks on defenses. So that'll, I think, also depend on how aggressive um, we need to be. But if it shakes out that, you know, we're one of the only streamers, um, then that'll make things easier and or vice versa. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, so we're actually, I just noticed, I normally don't <laughs> look at matchups that much, but we're off to a pretty good start this week. Um, he has Mixon and Justin Tucker, who aren't having complete flops, but not stinging us in any way. At least we're not playing A.J. Green as he put up three touchdowns in the first half. Yeah, I guess I, we should mention we're recording this Thursday night, so the uh, as the game is, what, finishing up, or is it finished up? I think it just is about finished up. Maybe it's at the two-minute wing right now. Okay, yeah. Uh, so I think one of the last things that will be interesting for us this week, I think we have maybe like one start-sit um, decision. I think we're both in agreement about moving uh, Josh Gordon up into the starting lineup. Um, mm-hmm. I think the interesting thing will mainly be kind of the Rex Burkhead situation and how we're feeling about him. And if we would maybe want to play like a Bilal Powell or Paul Richardson. Over. Yeah. And, and then the big question is going to be Tevin Coleman, who we currently have in, but he could be someone that we'd start uh, Bilal Powell over as well, potentially. If yeah. Freeman goes, I don't think that it'll be like Freeman's like ready to suit up and, you know, like nothing happened. And, you know, uh, Coleman kind of resumes his typical role. That seems unlikely to me. Right. But if it were to be the case, then I would I would per, uh, prefer Powell. I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it just at this point, it's really hard for me to believe that Freeman is going to be anywhere. Like even if he did suit up, it almost feels like they would have to give Coleman more carries than even their normal split, just with not practicing you know, this week. And I don't know, that'll be, it's going to be very interesting to track, but hopefully there's some clarity there. You know, part of the reason we drafted Tevin Coleman is because we do like that. He has some standalone value, even when Freeman is fully healthy, much less when he's banged up. Yeah. I mean, we banked the 11 points or whatever that he had in the Thursday night game. Um, and that, you know, is obviously with Freeman there. So, um, he's, he's definitely startable. Uh, even if Freeman goes, but man, if he, if Freeman doesn't go, then Coleman is locked and loaded as a starter and really just comes down to probably Burkhead or Powell. I don't think I'd really want to go with Paul Richardson. Um, yeah, I'm just not sure 
about the target volume there yet with him, but um, you know I think Powell's a pretty nice option right now. I do too. The Jets were In... one of the biggest surprises to me. They looked like legitimately good, um, and by legitimately good I mean not bad like I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the other thing to keep in mind for Powell is like. They were destroying the Lions there, so Crowell, of course, was getting a ton of the work. But, I mean, part of the reason you dra- we drafted Powell is because we thought they were going to be playing from behind um, and throwing a lot more. And I think those game scripts are going to come, even if Darnold is competent to good. Um, so, yeah, I still feel good about Powell. As I don't know if it'll happen this week, though. I mean, they're at home for Miami. So, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't see Miami lighting them up. Yeah, I was just my alter ego is just talking to uh, Josh ADHD, and he was talking about one of the stuff his uh, player usage app had revealed that was really surprising with just how poor the Miami Dolphins pass rush was. So mm. it looks like it's setting up nice for. Don't uh, tell that to Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, all right. Well, I think that is uh, is enough for this week before we ramble on about all of the minutia of our team, but I guess if we're talking about Edu Smith and Will Disley, we're already well into the minutia. But yeah, so we uh, let us know if you guys have, you know, our, our kind of thought process is we're going to break down the waivers and uh, how our team did things. We might be looking to do maybe some more strategy talk, like look ahead defenses. I'm sure schedules and bye weeks are going to come into play a lot more. Oh, we didn't really mention in the second part that we are rolling with Garoppolo. (laughs) Obviously if we had a crystal ball, we would have just kept Dalton in there (laughs) knowing how big of a game he had. Right. I think we're both feeling pretty good about Garoppolo this week. I feel very good about Garoppolo. I thought he looked really good. I mean, he didn't put up a huge fantasy day in week one, but I thought he looked really good, um, and I'm very comfortable with him this week. Excellent. So, yeah, if uh, if you are hearing this on Roviz Radio, be sure to subscribe. We have an individual feed for this. It's the High Stakes Diaries. If you search that on iTunes or your podcast app, you will find that. And, yeah, feel free to uh, shoot us a message on Twitter. A few of us, uh, a few of you guys have been talking to us about our team and what you think on there, and that's really fun. Uh, I'm at Peter Overzet. Pat, what's your handle? At Pat Corain. Excellent, guys. Uh, That's it for this week's Diaries. We will be back again next Saturday, hopefully as a one-in-one squad.